Well, I'm excited because I love Christmas and I love Advent, and I'm glad we're at this time of the year. Um, today's the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a time of waiting, although most of us are not very good at that. Uh, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait in the grocery store in line, and uh, we don't like to wait at restaurants in line. Um, I know if you're a restaurant owner, it's a good thing that people are lined up waiting for a table. Uh, that's good for you or your business, but I don't own any restaurants. So, um, so when the hostess says, uh, do, you, do you mind waiting? Well, of course I mind waiting. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, I didn't come here to wait. We don't, we don't like to wait. And then, of course, the, you know, the most miserable room in the hospital is the waiting room. You go in there with a, a loved one or a friend, and they go back for surgery, and there you are, sitting out there waiting, sometimes for hours. And you keep going up and bothering the volunteer at the information desk and saying, have you heard anything yet? And for the 12th time, they tell you, when it's over, the doctor will come out, and he will speak to you, and uh, you'll just have to wait. But waiting's hard. It's hard to wait. But here we are in Advent, waiting. And so to pass the time this morning, I thought that we would look through this old family album, uh, get an idea of some of the people who are here. Um, this morning we're gonna look at the genealogy that, that Matthew wrote in his gospel. Uh, I, I read somewhere that Dwight Eisenhower, when he was growing up and his family, they all were supposed to read through the Bible, the entire Bible in a certain amount of time, you know, every year or so. And, uh, but they were allowed to skip the genealogies. <laughs> so, um, but we're not gonna skip it this morning uh, because if you remember, it's never just a list of names. It's always more than a list. So beginning in uh, the very first chapter of the book of Matthew, chapter one, this is how the Christmas story starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, 
Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm pushing my luck trying this twice in just a month or so. Reading a list of names again. But there's really something important about this genealogy. I agree with biblical scholar Raymond Brown who says that not one in 10,000 people would start the story of Jesus here like Matthew did. Um, he wants to tell us the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus. And so he begins with Abraham. Uh, that just seems like a whole lot of unnecessary information. Um, he, Matthew sounds like the kind of guy, you, you know this person, that when you ask them if they've been to the grocery store, instead of saying yes or no, they give you the whole list of everything they got. Um, it, it, I heard a story about a little girl who asked her father, um, why, how do butterflies get such pretty colors on their wings? And her dad said, ask your older sister. And she said, I don't want to know that much about butterflies. <laughs> so, so some people think Matthew's just kind of given us this overload of information, but there's really some important things in this genealogy or the beginning of Jesus Christ, as Matthew puts it. First of all, you notice the genealogy is divided into three sections. One section goes from Abraham to the birth of David. The next section goes from David until the exile in Babylon. And then the next section goes from the exile in Babylon to the birth of Jesus. And it's divided up evenly in those three sections, most likely um, for the purpose of memorization. Because back in those days, they didn't have a handy little New Testament. So it was divided up like that so it would be easier to memorize. And the, the writing of the genealogy says something else that's really important. You see, Jesus is not an idea or a philosophy. Jesus is a person who was born into a particular family at a particular time, at a particular time in history, Jesus isn't just some philosophy that we think about or some great idea, um, but he, was, he, he has mother and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and all the other assorted relatives, and his name was listed down at the courthouse register just like everyone else's name. I, I read a really interesting story about this guy who um, grew up in India, and he was Hindu, and then he became a believer and a follower of Jesus, and someone asked him what convinced him to become a follower of Jesus. And he said, I became a follower of Jesus after I read the genealogy in Matthew. <laughs> and so they obviously wanted to know why. How in the world did that impact his life? And he said, well, I grew up believing in Hinduism and Buddhism. And he said, they're wonderful ideas. They're wonderful philosophies. But Jesus is a real person. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy to believe in, but it's a real person to follow. 
And uh, when we, our faith in Jesus is, is based on a historical event that Jesus was born and lived and died and was raised. And so we don't follow a belief or a philosophy or a set of principles or values. We follow a person, Jesus, who is real and who is real. And so um, this genealogy also gives us a rather surprising preview of God's grace. It's, it's a honest, and, and honestly, it's an embarrassing account of Jesus' family because it, it names all these people and some of them are saints, some of them are sinners. Um, there's good folks and bad folks, and they're all just given equal billing in this list of Jesus' family. And, um, you know, sometimes I think the church wishes Matthew had been a little more selective in who he put in this list. Um, but even that tells us the truth about God is that God doesn't just choose the good people. God doesn't just pick the people who have it all together. But God loves us all. And chooses us all. I mean, just look at some of the people on this list. God, God chose Jacob instead of Esau. I mean, Esau was no road scholar, but at least he wasn't a grifter like Jacob. And, and then Jesus, uh, God chose Judah instead of his brother Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the star of the family. Joseph was the one who accomplished all these great things. He was the favorite son. He had the best resume. He had the best personality. He had the technicolor coat. Uh, but God chose Judah to be in the lineage of Jesus, not Joseph. And, and in the first six verses, four women are mentioned. And th this was unheard of in Matthew's day. Women were not included in genealogies. And so the very fact that he would do that was shocking. But he includes four women. And one of the striking things about these women is that none of them are Jewish. Tamar is an Arab. Bathsheba was Palestinian. Ruth was a Moabite. Today we would say she was Jordanian. Rahab was a Canaanite. <laughs> none of them are Jewish. Maybe there to remind us again of something Jesus kept saying over and over. It wasn't about nations. That he was born a king, but not, not a Jewish, just a Jewish king. He was, he was there for all of us. It was for everybody, Jews and Gentiles and everyone else. His kingdom isn't about nations, it's about people. And so he throws some serious cold water on nationalistic religion. And, and, and it wasn't you know, just enough that he, he mentioned these women in his genealogy. I mean, they weren't even Jewish. And why did he mention these particular women? I mean, he could have mentioned Sarah or Rebecca or Rachel. Why didn't he mention any of them? Instead, look at who he mentions. He mentions Tamar. She, she was a, if, if you know the story of Tamar, she was, uh, she was not married and she was pregnant. And so she was called in as an adulterer, uh, adulteress. She was going to be stoned to death. But it turns out the person who brought her to court and accused her, uh, he turned out to be the father of the baby. It sounds like Maury, doesn't it? Uh, and, um, and so because of that, then she wasn't um, stoned. Uh, and the father of the baby, by the way, his name was Judah, who <laughs> is in the genealogy. Uh, and then Rahab, she was a big-hearted member of the oldest profession. And uh, Ruth was a nice enough girl, but she could be a little pushy, 
But remember, I told you she's a Moabite. And, and, and listen to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 says, No Ammonite or Moabite shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Moabites were hated and they were, they were, they were shunned. They were outsiders. One day, I'm, I'm going to do a sermon called No Moabites Allowed. And I'm just going to go through the Bible and, and show you the list of people that at some point are condemned, and later on, God just welcomes them into the family anyway. There's a long list like that. And so, um, and then he says, the wife of Uriah, Matthew doesn't even call her by name, and maybe he was doing her a favor. We know that she was an object of King David's lust and they were in, involved in an affair or maybe it wasn't an affair because David was king so he may have just saw her and took what he wanted and this, this relationship they were in brought about the death of her husband, destruction throughout David's family, the divisions that were caused were never healed so maybe Matthew is doing her kindness by not mentioning her name. Seems like the whole sordid affair was mostly David's fault anyway. And it seems like her biggest crime was just being too good looking for her own good. That's Jesus' family that we just read about. So that should make you feel a little better about your family now, right? <laughs> so, I mean, this first section, the genealogy from Abraham to David is full of assortment of familiar names and, uh, you know, their stories are the Old Testament stories that we learned as children that we know about, but they're an odd mixture of saints and sinners, of people who had it all together and people who didn't have it all together, and yet God loved them and they were part of Jesus' family anyway. From Abraham to David, God just didn't choose the good folks. He chose everybody. And I think it's a reminder of how he loves and works with all of us. And then the next section is from David to the exile in Babylon. And it's a list of, it's just a list of kings. All of these names, all of these guys were kings. And, and, and again, some of them were really good kings that the Bible said they pleased God in what they did. And then a lot of them, though, the Bible says that God was very unhappy with them, very displeased with the way they lived and the things they did. And, um, and I think maybe the reason we have this list of kings is to remind us that Jesus was born a king, um, but a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that didn't have any boundaries. And, and then this last section of the genealogy that moves from the exile in Babylon all the way up to the time of, of Jesus' birth, it is filled with, with names of people that we know nothing about. Now, we know, um, we know who Sheltiel and Zerubbabel, we know who they were, and we know who Mary and Joseph are, um, but all of those other names in there, we don't know anything about those people. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We don't know anything about them. We don't know anything about their story. So maybe the Bible's telling us here that not only does God use saints as well as sinners and people who were born to royalty, but God also uses people who were never successful in the way the world counts success. 
They never did anything to get their story written down. And yet, there they are, a part of the family tree, a part of Jesus' family. And, and I really believe that this genealogy has a lot to say to us about the one who is born on Christmas. I believe it says a lot to us about who Jesus is. It, it, it speaks volumes. And once you really understand the genealogy, then you read later on in the Gospels about how Jesus sat down and ate with prostitutes and sinners of all kinds. And it shouldn't surprise us because those folks have been in Jesus' family all along. He felt right at home with them. And yet you know, Jesus spoke with authority. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. He came from a long line of kings. He had royal blood coursing through his veins. Why should it surprise us that Jesus was fearless? That he would stand up and speak the truth and he would speak it with authority. People like that have always been in his family. And then Jesus hung out with people who were successful and did great things. Like, and then he hung out with people that you know nobody else had ever heard of, that never did anything worth writing home about. And he felt right at home with those folks, just like he did with the rulers, because those folks have always been a part of Jesus' family. Saints and sinners and rulers, nobodies, that's who made up Jesus' family. And that's who makes up Jesus' family still. And this genealogy reminds us that Jesus was born for us. No matter who you are, people like you have always been a part of Jesus' family. He was born to bring life to every one of us who are willing to follow him. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a saint, and you've got it all together, and you've got it all figured out, or you're a sinner, like all of us are in, in truthfulness, but you know you are, <laughs> and you don't have things figured out and you're trying to figure out how to put things together and make things work, you may be incredibly successful. Or you may have never done anything that anybody outside your family ever knows about. Jesus invites you to be a part of his family. Jesus was born for you. Because people like you have always been in his family. And he invites people like us to be in his family still. And that is the good news we celebrate at Christmas. That is what we prepare our hearts for. That the one who is born was born for us. Saint, sinner, rich, poor. Got it together, fallen apart. Successful. Never done any huge accomplishment. It doesn't matter. Jesus has always had people like us in his family, and he welcomes us to be a part of his family now. Amen.